0: Our thesis going in was the Canadian capital markets are going to rally around a company like this. We we thought there was, I'll say, pent-up demand, or that the investment community was looking to rally around the next generation of technology companies in Canada.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Backbone, a podcast exploring the journey of finance and operations within tech companies. I'm your host, Shabam Dada, at Shabam on Twitter. If this is your first episode, welcome, and thanks for checking it out. For those returning listeners, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you've subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show on whichever platform you're hearing this now. It would mean so much to me and help spread the stories of these amazing finance leaders we feature on The Backbone. Onto the show today, I'm thrilled to welcome Brandon Nessie, Chief Financial Officer at Lightspeed POS. Lightspeed provides a cloud-based commerce platform that enables SMBs to sell across multiple channels, run their operations, and accept payments. At Lightspeed, Brandon oversees finance, legal, HR, IT, and payment operations. He recently led Lightspeed's $276 million Canadian IPO on the Toronto Stock Exchange, one of the largest in the last 10 years on the TSX. Prior to Lightspeed, Brandon has held many senior finance positions, serving as the CFO of desire to learn and Descartes Systems Group. Brandon is an operationally-minded CFO with experience in public markets, raising capital, and M&A. Brandon obtained his CPA CA designation while at KPMG and holds honors business administration degree from Wilfrid Laurier University. And so without further ado, let's bring in Brandon Nussi, CFO at Lightspeed. Brandon, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making some time to chat on the backbone. Now, before we get started, I first wanted to congratulate you on the recent IPO of Lightspeed. And I know we'll get more in depth into that uh, experience later on in the show. But uh, to start, I want to spend some time talking about your career journey. And so you started your career at KPMG. From there, you've been in the CFO seat at various technology companies, including Descartes Systems Group, desire to learn and now Lightspeed. So talk to me about that journey into tech and how it all started for you.
0: Yeah, happy to. And uh, thanks for having me. Look forward to this. Yeah, I don't know. I think my journey was, uh, wasn't was like it was well-planned or well-scripted. as uh, was probably similar to a lot of your listeners. But um, I knew I liked numbers. I knew I liked business. I went to Laurier. Uh, Laurier is a strong accounting school. So I ended up in that path. And uh, and then from there, I, um, I started the waterloo region where i was started to become uh, a strong tech center we had companies like research in motion at the time and open text and uh company ended up joining descartes systems group all doing really well and doing ipos at uh during the what became known as the dot-com bubble and uh i knew i liked tech and um uh, again, was fortunate enough to be in a community that really valued it. So uh, I took the jump and joined Descartes, and from there uh – Uh, just have uh, really enjoyed the space and and just kept going.
1: Nice. And and never looked back uh, after Descartes, I guess.
0: Never looked back. Uh, Not intentional to still be in the Waterloo region, but, uh, um, you know, that community's kind of, as I mentioned, really rallied around technology and I'm uh, happy to be a part of it and and try to continue to be.
1: That's great. Tell me a bit about uh, Lightspeed. I know this is probably uh, well in your recent (laughs) uh, experience going through the IPO roadshow experience. So, uh, tell me a bit about Lightspeed and and what the company does and what it's all about.
0: For sure, yeah. I uh, I do have this pretty well committed to memory now after doing (laughs) it for uh, about 200 consecutive times. But um, no, it's a a pretty fun company. It's a Montreal-based company. Really strong mission to help the SMBs of uh, cities and communities thrive. Um, Really, the company has Uh, When Dax founded the company uh, 14 years ago, it was with the the premise that cities and communities are built around the success of uh, the local SMBs. And so what Lightspeed does is provide tools and technologies to SMBs to help them engage with their customers across multiple selling channels online and in person uh, and so on, run their operations, so how they manage their inventories or manage the restaurants. Uh, And uh, a new thing for us is uh, helping them then uh, accept payments in all the modern forms that consumers want to pay. Serve uh, close to 50,000 customers around the world. And uh, again, really focused on Let's say the the complex SMB is kind of how we we phrased it. We're not trying to be all things to all people inside a very large market, but uh, the more complex, uh, more well-established SMB, that's uh, our primary customer.
1: Got it. That makes sense. And then within SMB space, are there specific verticals that Lightspeed looks at? Like, for instance, the restaurant
0: vertical or or services
1: or things like that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, to this point, focused uh, almost exclusively, on retailers and restaurants. Retail is the majority of the business, um, but restaurant is a, is a big chunk and, uh, and growing quickly for us as well.
1: Very cool. So now I want to turn the uh, clock back a little bit and draw upon your CFO role at uh, Descartes. And so uh, Descartes was a provider of on-demand SaaS solutions for logistic intensive businesses. And so you were appointed the CFO there in 2002 and then helped lead the company through a bit of a restructuring process and, and a number of strategic acquisitions. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily common for someone's first CFO gig to be that of a public company. Um, and so, first of all, what was that experience like? And uh, what was it like being a, a public company CFO, a seat that you're back in now?
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know, it um, um, when it came back in 2002, I mentioned Descartes uh, went public in uh, 99, 98 timeframe, something in that respect was a dot-com darling and then like many others fell upon uh some tougher times when the bubble burst um at the time i was uh you know young early in my career and i wouldn't say you know might have been some could argue naive about the whole thing uh When it came to restructuring the business, you know, it's just what we needed to do. Um, so the board at the time, uh, recognized, uh, and I think the, the individuals in, in management at the time recognized that, okay, it's time for, you know, some fresh, uh, fresh team in here to, uh, to restructure, and um, I just knew the business well, um, and I think we'll get into this maybe a little later as to how I approached the, the, the role, but um, I joke a little bit that uh, I got the job because no one else would have taken it, um, but at the same time, uh, um, just having been in the company and the, role I've, and the roles I was in, I knew the business well and obviously had the finance uh, background as well. You know the restructuring and and the subsequent acquisitions were uh were led by a, a pretty well entrenched team at the time and for us it was uh they were just the decisions that um i won't say were obvious but we all knew just needed to get made and and we set out we made a plan and uh and execute it and somewhat fortunately it it all worked out you know and as for what it was like to be public company cfo again for me it was it was exciting and that uh you know it was a career objective of mine to just become a cfo um but oddly enough I, i grew to like it a lot of people um in terms of being the public company side of it what being public forces you to do is just be very intentional about your moves uh uh, it forces you to be accountable, and uh, it really stretches. I think the capabilities of of CFOs. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to uh, you need to be good at all aspects of the job to be a good public company CFO. And uh, I don't know; those are things that uh, all resonate well with me in terms of uh, the type of. Um, uh, leader, I I hope to be so.
1: Yeah, for sure. And 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 then as you moved from Descartes um, to Desire to Learn, which was a private company, and then even as early as just maybe two or three weeks ago, when Lightspeed was still private, what were some of the experiences that you drew upon your public company CFO hat at Descartes that helped you in in those roles?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I, I touched on a little bit there on the on the last question. Um, you know, I think, I think what Descartes really taught me is just how important it is to be operationally minded as a CFO. Um, you know, at the end of the day, nobody really cares if you've Got prepaid expenses nailed, and you know, you know what deferred taxes are going (laughs) to be, and and so on. They care when you screw that stuff up. That becomes those really are table stakes. And and what Descartes really taught me is, you know, if you can be entrenched in the business, know the underlying drivers of the business, um, you're going to be that much more effective as a finance leader. And um, just by virtue of the path I took uh, at at descartes i, I don't know if it was entirely intentional but the one i ended up uh, following uh, i was always very very involved with the, the business leaders with our customers with our revenue our forecasts our products and everything and uh, i've tried to keep that with with me as part of every role i've taken since uh, just really bringing kind of a an operational mindset to uh to the to the CFO seat.
1: Nice. I love it. Um, and so now uh, I want to fast forward the clock to Lightspeed. And so you recently took Lightspeed public on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, talk to me about that process and the lead up to it. What were some of the biggest learnings that you would share um, if you had to do it over again or to any uh, CFOs maybe going through that process for the first time?
0: Yeah, you know what? I think, uh, I think the biggest takeaway I'd like to... And, uh, you know, I've told uh, a number of folks since we had a thesis going in. I mean, Lightspeed, you know, $72 million U.S. in revenue for the 12 months end December 31st. We're not a huge business, you know, kind of the general rules of thumb you look for to to uh, to be a public company. You know, we didn't we didn't pick all those boxes. Um but we felt it was important for our business. We felt it was important strategically for us to to be public, to get the capital, to uh, you know, um, just. Just establish ourselves as uh, as the leader in in our in our segment of this SMB world. Our thesis going in was the Canadian capital markets are going to rally around a company like this. That we think that there we thought there was I'll say pent up demand, or that the investment community was looking to rally around the next generation of technology companies in Canada. Mm-hmm going back to when I started in in, in the tech space in, in 99 you know Blackberry open text Descartes and so on there's been you know not a lot in between and um, it was our it was our thesis that uh, you know the, the public markets in Canada were were ready for it, and that uh, they would embrace it, they would support it, and that some of the historical concerns, you know, whether it's liquidity or valuation or your ability to attract U.S. investors on the TSX, that those were no longer going to be concerns. And, um, Uh, we were thrilled with the outcome. I mean, I think proved itself in spades. Um, We got a lot of interest from Canadians, a lot of support. We got an equal amount of support from us investors. Um, So, you know, I think that's the, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it fits the category of learnings or, or, or so on, but I really hope that, uh, you know, this helps, you know, a little bit of a renaissance of Canadian tech and, uh, um, you know, so much good stuff happening in the space, and uh, you know, folks like you guys are, are are really helping the overall ecosystem. And I really hope to see a lot more companies follow in our uh, footsteps here.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I, I feel like, uh, to your point, um, there's, there's been a gap of technology companies going public, just overall, let alone in, in Canada. There's definitely been a gap, but I think things are starting to change now and in, in with the turn of the new year in 2019. And so, hopefully, um, we'll see a lot, many, many, many more companies um, entering the, the public markets. Yeah, I think, um,
0: uh, sorry to cut you off, I think, uh, I think the ecosystem is just a lot more complete now from the funding. Cycle perspective too, where you know there's there's well established growth equity funds now that can you know whereas before you needed to to go you know look for that south of the border you don't have to do that anymore and uh, you know what I think uh, what at least we were successful with and and hope to see others be successful with is you know what let's take these companies public in Canada as well it's just to yeah. get a, a much healthier ecosystem if we can do it from. Uh, from seed stage all the way through to, to IPO.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, definitely would be a big win uh, all around. So now I want to focus a little bit on uh, your experience doing um, acquisitions, just so everyone's on the same page uh, for for the listeners. Um, during your time at Descartes, uh, you were part of seven acquisitions. And so I'm not going to go on and list them all. But needless to say, there was a, a bunch of sizable acquisitions that you did there um, while you were at d 2L, the company had made six uh, acquisitions. And so as the finance leader, what are some of the considerations that you have to evaluate beyond just like strategic fit, product fit, things like this, when considering an acquisition? Like, what were the things that uh, you really looked for um, being the finance leader that others may have overlooked?
0: Yeah, I think M&A in general is just a very uh, alluring topic, right? Uh, people, uh, you know, find it, you uh, quite uh entrancing almost to uh do mna or be part of mna the reality is it's it's extremely difficult um and uh you just have to stay grounded on why you're doing it so you mentioned the strategic product fit and so on i think the biggest thing uh that finance leaders can help with is just making sure the organization's ready to um ingest it uh, that the organization's ready to meet its commitments around why you're doing it, um, making sure it's, it's well resourced and that that integration plan is, is there. I mean, i Every acquisition on paper, you're not going to do it unless there's some, you know, financial kind of conclusion that says it makes sense. It's not going to pass your your board, your investors uh, without that threshold. But at the end of the day, you're making models and forecasts off a company that uh, you really don't have a lot of experience with, and success or failure of these things really happens post acquisition, where um, you know you see how well. Um, the company integrates in and you know I'd say Descartes is probably a gold standard and I won't take really any of the credit for that uh, that team continues to this day to be uh, an amazing company that uh, grows in part organically and and a lot inorganically. organically um, but what Descartes was really good at and I assume now is uh, is uh, is exceptionally good at was that integration you know the day that acquisition closed the teams just knew what to do and uh it makes all the difference in the world to making sure that uh you know, you meet your commitments in terms of why you're doing that acquisition, whether it's the financial commitments of it or the, uh, you know, the, uh, the product roadmap commitments or the customer commitments. Um, I think finance leaders can just really play a good role of making sure, you know, you know what your KPIs are around that. And, uh, uh and that, um, you're resourced and have the, the integration plan to make sure the thing's successful. And and none of that should be interpreted as uh, um, <laughs> a statement that all of the ones I was a part of were successful because they weren't, <laughs> but uh, uh, the ones that were, you know, are just uh, it just comes down to how quickly you can get uh, that, that uh, target company assimilated into your teams, your culture and your business.
1: Right and so I want to double click on the the integration piece and especially that last point that you made um w- would you say uh from from your experience of doing all these acquisitions Um, Was there a correlation between the amount of time and effort that you spent on integration planning? Because we all know a plan is a plan until it isn't. Was there that correlation between the success of the acquisition post, um, you know, integration with the time and effort and detail that you would have spent pre acquisition, uh, doing the integration planning?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm obviously going to say yes to that. I think, though, I (laughs) experienced. ultimately is what, um, is what got, I'm going to stay focused on Descartes uh, uh, for now, um, what got that company really good at it. You know, the first few were were intentional and uh, from a, um, a strategic standpoint as to what we we're doing and why. Um, you know, the, they, they weren't as necessarily as smooth on that integration. They weren't as well thought out, but um, but, you know, you put one or two under your belt, you see what you've done wrong, and then, you know, by the third and fourth, it starts to feel like, you know, just a part of the business, and the teams know what they need to do, and the, the, uh, the uncertainty and the, you know, the, the philosophy behind it goes away, and you just... Uh, um, you know, shoot, I think that company's buying, uh, I think Descartes's buying a company a quarter almost now. Um, the only way they do that is they've got their, uh, integration checklist, they've got their people responsible, and that's yeah. just one more thing on the on the to-do list to do so
1: it's just yeah. uh we we sell product we buy companies it's just part yeah. of the, the day day.
0: Yeah, and that's not for everyone but uh yeah. you know in certain industries and in certain companies um you can see the the power it can uh, it can bring to the financial model, for sure.
1: So last question here before we move into our quick fire round, and that is, um, you know, while you were at D2L, uh, the company had 750 employees with offices in six different countries. At Lightspeed, there are 600 employees, maybe it's more now, in eight different locations around the world. Lightspeed also serves, like you mentioned, over 50,000 customers in over 100 countries. So I want to spend some time talking about having a global presence, whether it's, you know, managing payroll across multiple jurisdictions or serving customers and dealing with cross-border tax issues. What advice would you impart on finance leaders in setting a good foundation to manage all of this?
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to um, just recognizing that um, whatever works in Canada or in the US doesn't mean that's how you got it. How, how that, that's going to work in, uh, the UK and the Netherlands and Australia or whatever. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of North American based companies just kind of say, all right, I'm going to go, you know do this same thing in that market and I, I should expect the same results and the reality is you know europe gets talked about as almost like it's a single country when it's you know of course many different languages many different regulations many different um, mm-hmm. requirements and so having that local knowledge for the for some of that the local needs is pretty critical you know um i think lightspeed does a great job of you know 35 percent of our businesses is, uh is in europe um but we have really strong local offices that um you know, the products localized for the, we've got HR presence in those offices that uh, recognize that the Amsterdam culture doesn't need to be the exact same as the Montreal culture. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're more attentive to the customers that way that are there. We're more attentive to our employees that way as well. Um, and having said all of that, certain things need to be managed centrally. Um, and, and a big chunk of what finance teams do, uh, I've seen be most successful centralized, um, where, uh, you know, you just, you can get your arms around the, the timelines and, uh, you know, reporting processes and, uh, um, the billing processes and everything else, um, um, Having those things centralized, uh, generally speaking, uh, I found to be most effective.
1: There, there are certain things, like you said, like that that you can, you know, uh, have boots on the ground effectively in those locales. Um, but certain things need to be um, centralized uh, just for efficiency and consistency perspective. Yeah, such as finance. Well, what I'd like to do now is uh, jump into our quickfire round. And so the way this works is I'll ask you uh, some questions and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each How does that sound?
0: Uh, Okay, I'm ready. Go. (laughs) All
1: right, let's do it. So what's your go-to online resource for all things startup finance or technology
0: finance related? Uh, SurePath Capital.
1: Okay. <laughs> Best
0: Customers' your- website too. Cool. Cool.
1: What's your favorite productivity hack?
0: Always make time for the important, not urgent stuff. Block it in your calendar. Good
1: one. What's one thing you don't leave the office before finishing?
0: Whatever's on that little sticky note that sits on my pad of paper. Uh, the things I got to do today. So you're a sticky note
1: guy. Got it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what's one tech jargon that makes you cringe?
0: Disruption.
1: Disruption. <laughs> I've heard that from a few guests already.
0: Yeah. Build, a, build a good product, figure out how to take it to market. That's, yeah. uh, that's all we need to do.
1: And the last one here is, uh, what's the best advice you've received so far in your career?
0: Shoot, I'm going to take more than 10 seconds on that one. Uh, figure out what's important to you and stay true to it. Uh, what what makes you happy at the end of the day? Uh, figure out what that is and uh, and just double down on that.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thanks again, Brandon. I uh, really appreciate your time and, and your learnings that you've imparted uh, for, for the show. Really learned a lot. And this was a fascinating discussion about M&A within tech, about being a public company CFO and, and kind of the rigor that goes into that and just uh, in general thinking about going global and, and kind of the, the requirements for, for that. Um, so really enjoyed this chat and thanks again uh, for making some time, Brandon.
0: Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for having me.
1: And so there you have it. What an amazing discussion with Brandon Nussie, Chief Financial Officer at Lightspeed. If you enjoyed this show with Brandon, check out some of the other awesome finance leaders featured on the Backbone from companies like Ecobee, Wealthsimple, League, and many more. Thank you so much for listening all the way and joining me on this journey inside finance at a tech company. Until next time, take care.